Man, great singing, guys. Take your Bibles and turn to Joshua chapter number 2. Joshua chapter number 2. Guys, just to be honest, I have been looking forward to getting back to preaching the book of Joshua to you guys. This is our fourth message in of many. There are many, many chapters in the book of Joshua, and I'm sure that you went home and you studied the entire book of Joshua, so you have a good context of what we're going to talk about in Joshua chapter 2 and Joshua chapter 3 tonight, right? Amen? How many of you in your life have ever prepared for a victory? How many of you in your life have ever prepared to win? Any of you ever gone to like a practice? Right? Okay. Oh, man. Some of you are like, we prepare, but we know we're going to lose. Right? Right. Well, that's what we're going to talk about. This evening, turn your Bibles to Joshua chapter number 2. We're going to look at verses 23 through 24, and then we're going to look at verses 1 through 8 of Joshua chapter number 3 this evening. The Bible says in verse number 23, So the two men returned and descended from the mountain. These are the two men, by the way, we've just, uh, in your mind, go back to our last message where Joshua was right with, with uh, Joshua had sent the two spies in uh, to spy out the land, and the two spies went into whose house? Rahab the harlots, correct, right? And she showed her faith by obeying God's command, by lying to the people at the door, and by sending these men out, and then lying again to these men to tell them that he had gone another place. So verse number 23, So these two men returned and descended from the mountain and passed over and came to Joshua the son of Nun and told him all the things that befell them. They said unto Joshua, Truly the Lord hath delivered into our hands all the land, for even all the inhabitants of the country do faint because of us. Joshua rose early in the morning, and they removed from Shittim and came to Jordan, and he and all the children of Israel lodged there before they passed over. And it came to pass, after three days, there's three days again, the officers went through the host, and they commanded the people, saying, When ye see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priest of the Levites bearing it, then ye shall remove from your place and go after it. You there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Come not near unto it, that you may not know that, by, that you may know the, the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way hitherto. And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Joshua spake unto the priest, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass over before the people. And they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day will I begin to magnify thee in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. Thou shalt command the priests that bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you are come to the brink of the water of Jordan, ye shall stand still in Jordan." In order for us to see God's wonders, we must prepare for Him to work. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we love You. Father, help us to learn through this message that it takes preparation to see You work in our lives. Father, help us to learn through this message, uh, through this story of Joshua and how he had the people prepare for Your coming, how he had these people prepare for You to do a mighty work. Lord, may we, may we learn that there is this theme in the Scripture of before you work in our lives and before you do marvelous miracles among us, having your people ready and sanctified for the work. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. A couple years ago, I bought a wrecked vehicle off of a, some, somewhere called Copart. 
I don't know if any of you really know what that is, but Copart is basically a place that sells uh, salvage title vehicles. You might wonder when you like see a car on a trailer that's just been in a wreck. Like, I love that, by the way. Don't you love seeing wrecked vehicles? There's something about it. I don't know if it's just a guy thing, but I love seeing vehicles that looks like it's just been destroyed, right? And you're like, man, that's crazy. It's been flipped upside down. They go to Copart. So I decided to buy a truck from Copart. It wasn't too bad. It was missing a couple parts up front, but I, it, I later learned that it had a bad engine, so I just sold it. But anyways, I bought this car from Copart, but one of the stresses was me going to Dayton, Ohio to go pick this thing up. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but trucks are bigger than cars. Write it down, folks, those of you taking notes. Trucks are bigger, indeed, than cars. Nugget of truth. If you've learned nothing, learn that trucks are bigger than cars. Hear me out, fellas. So I go and I pick up a U-Haul trailer. Brother Trent, a truck does not fit on a U-Haul trailer. So I decide at the, at the end of the U-Haul trailer, there are these things called the rails. And it had one of those that you just pull the rails out of the trailer. So I figure I'm just going to pull those out and stick bolts down in between the slots and then I'll put the truck on and it completely worked. But anyways, I get to Copart and one of the most nerve-wracking things was to watch basically a huge forklift. If you've ever seen this happen, it's pretty amazing. They have these giant, they've got to be at least 20, 24 feet, somewhere along that long. And it's this tractor with these huge forks and they come and they get your information, you pay for your vehicle. And then this thing goes out there and it picks up your car. That made me so nervous. Because I have seen all of the forklift disaster videos, right? I've seen where forklifts make a wrong move and then they destroy whole warehouses. I've seen forklifts that, and I just imagine my truck, him like flipping it over in a field somewhere and be like, okay, well, I just paid for that wrecked truck that's even more wrecked than it was, right? So I was nervous and he came up to the truck and I go up to it and I, I knock on the window of his tractor and I'm like, hey man, just so you know, I, I, I paid a lot for this truck. If you could just scoot it, I'd pay a lot. And the guy's like, this never happened. You could tell, like people never go up to the window and talk to this guy. This guy's like, yeah, I'm gonna load it on your trailer. But yeah, you don't understand. I got the trailer pulled out. He's like, people have done this before. It's okay, I'm gonna load it on your trailer now. But yeah, but the, the rail's on the side. And he's like, if you would just step back and let me do my job, I will load this thing on the trailer. I'm like, okay, okay. And I go over there and I stand over there. I'm like, he's not gonna load it right. He's not gonna, he's gonna destroy this truck. And he takes those forks and he switches the truck back around and he twists it around, not, not twist it, but he gets the truck and he lifts it. And surprisingly, he knew exactly what he was doing. He puts it on the trailer, I strap it down, we almost die a couple times, and then we get it back safely, and, and later I figure out it's not right, right. So I had such a mistrust of a person who knew exactly what they were doing, right? I had prepared, I had gotten the trailer, I had done my part, but when it came to putting the trust in the guy's hands who were literally going to place that truck onto what I had prepared, I got so nervous. We in our Christian lives, we get so close to living victorious Christian lives. We prepare for it. But then when it comes to the moment of actually putting our preparation in the Lord's hands and saying, Lord, my life is yours. I prepared you for it. But when it comes to the big things of God saying, okay, here's my plan. I'm going to put it down now. We're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Lord, are you sure you know what you're doing? Are, are, are you sure this is your plan for my life? Is this what you want? Lord, I've prepared, but... Lord, I have struggled with faith in you. Have you ever done that in your life? You feel like you're doing your devotions correctly. You feel like you're, you're uh, having the right prayer life. But there's something missing with your faith in the Lord. We must prepare to see the wonders of God. Go, God knows exactly what He's doing. We just need to trust in Him. Let's notice tonight, 
four required preparations to see God's wonders. Four required preparations to see God's wonders. I encourage you to take notes throughout this as well. Verses 23 through 24, uh, these spies had just returned to Joshua. And what the spies are telling Joshua is that, Joshua, this battle is already won. Joshua, if you'll just go and step in, we, I know our armies aren't that strong. I know we don't have that many people. But these people are so afraid of us that if we just step on their land and we go like this, they're going to run away, Joshua. So just go in the land. So Joshua's saying, okay, prepare through acknowledged victory. So Joshua gets faith in the Lord, and he goes to make his next step. Imagine if next Sunday, this upcoming Sunday, I get, imagine all of you, I know this is not going to take place. There's going to be more of you on Sunday than come on Wednesdays. I know that's typically the case. There might be less of you. I don't know. But if I say, all right, all of us right now, actually, let's say tonight, there's a little kids program going on. There's probably 10 kids up there, okay? And I say, hey, Kyle, hey, Kyle, I need you to grab the dodgeballs we're going to go battle those kids in a game of dodgeball. And I say, boys, girls, get ready. You guys are all like putting those, those forehead things on. You're like strapping them. You got bandanas. We go in there, and there's like black lights and fog lights. We walk in there, and it's like the final count. And we're all walking in, and those kids are like, oh, no. And they're so afraid. That's kind of how I picture this, right? These people know that Israel has the Lord on their side, right? They, are, they aren't a superior army in number or armor or uh, weapon, but they know that they have the superior God on their side, right? We know that we could beat those kids in dodgeball, right? But if we never step up there and step up to the dodgeball and start just pelting them in the face with it, we'll never win, Right? Not, maybe not the face. Maybe the chest. you like, and then the kid just, ah! you know, I don't know. But if we never actually take the step of going up there and playing dodgeball with them, we'll never win, right? If we don't show up to the battle. We talked about this our last sermon, right? I think it was actually two sermons ago, how God has already won the victory in our Christian lives. We just have to show up. We just have to take a step of faith and believe God that He has got the victory won. Prepare through acknowledged victory. So uh, Joshua knew that this battle was already won. He just had to take the next step. When God's hand, by the way, I wrote this down. I encourage you to write this down in your notes. When God's hand is on your side, you always have the upper hand. If you have the Lord on your side in any battle, in any struggle in life, in any ministry, you are on the winning side of the battle. Right, so Joshua realizes that, so he's going to go tell the people to prepare. Secondly, prepare through acknowledged deliverance. Verses 1 through 4. The Bible says, And Joshua rose early in the morning, and they removed from Shittim, and came unto the Jordan. He and all the children of Israel lodged there before they passed over. And then he gives them some instruction on the Ark of the Covenant. And it came to pass after three days that the officers went through the host. They commanded the people, say, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priest of the Levites bearing it, then you shall remove from your place and go after it. So we see one of the first mentions of the Ark of the Covenant. Now, we will have exhaustive study on the Ark of the Covenant. But let me just explain it very bare bones. We're not going to even get into what's inside of the Ark of the Covenant. We're not going to get into the priestly duties involved with the Ark of the Covenant. We'll get into all that in a further message about the Ark of the Covenant. But know this, the Ark of the Covenant is a symbolism of God's presence. It is a symbolism actually of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
The ark was simply a chest for safekeeping. That's basically what the ark, the definition of the ark, if you wanted to write a definition of the ark, it was, an, it was a, a place for safekeeping. In this instance, it was a chest for safekeeping. Get the like Noah's ark out of your mind, by the way. This wasn't like the Ark of the Covenant, so Noah's back on his boat, and they're like, walk behind it. No, no, that's not what happened. It doesn't just appear out of the water, Jordan, and now they're going to ride this Ark over. That's not what happens, right? So uh, get that out of your mind. The Ark symbolized the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now get this. This is a little bit deeper in theology, but I'm going to try to explain it in a very simple way. So the Ark of the Covenant, Joshua is commanding from the Lord's command, He's saying, people of Israel, when you see the Ark of the Covenant go into Jordan. Now, can you imagine being the people of Israel thinking, why are you throwing the Ark of the Covenant in a river? Like, why are you, and then why are we going after it, right? So when you see the Ark of the Covenant follow 2,000 cubits behind it, cubit is the distance between here and here, right? So that's a long space, at least, a, at least more than half a mile, right? So the Ark of the Covenant's way up there. He's saying, follow that so you know where to go because you've not been this way before, right? Follow after the Ark of the Covenant, but stay away. Joshua said, choose 12 men to carry it, right? So the Ark of the Covenant is going to be carried into and then out of the River Jordan. I'm sorry, Griffin, you're looking at the distracting me. So it's going into and out of the river Jordan. Now, the word Jordan is split up kind of into two, Jor and Dan, right? So Dan means judgment, okay? Write that down if you're taking notes. Dan means judgment. This river was a picture of judgment and death. Say, why was this river a picture of judgment and death? I can go into more depth about it. I'm not going to tonight. Maybe we will in the future when we talk about Jordan a little bit more. But Jordan was a picture of judgment and death. Did you know this? It came from uh, and then went into the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea. The Dead Salt Sea where things went to die, right? There was no outflow. There was only inflow. Therefore, Jordan was the river of death. Okay, get this. The ark would go down into the Jordan... By the way, on dry land, we'll discuss that in a moment. And then come out of the Jordan unfazed. By the way, this is an amazing symbolism. This is what I'm trying to get through to you guys. Get this. What was the picture of the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ went into the Jordan, the picture of judgment and death, and then came out of the Jordan unfazed? Do you understand what I'm saying? The Ark of the Covenant, the presence of... You get it, but they might not. The presence of the Lord Jesus Christ went in to the place of judgment and death and came out on the other side, leading God's people through it. Do you see the significance of this? Isn't this amazing how God, He lets us get these deeper things from the Scripture. By the way, this same spot where the Ark of the Covenant is going to be walked in is the same physical spot. Get this, know your Bible. It is the same physical spot where the Lord Jesus Christ, many thousands of years later, would be baptized. The Lord Jesus Christ put under the Jordan, risen out of the Jordan, the place of judgment and death. Guys, what a beautiful picture of salvation. What a beautiful picture of redemption that the Lord Jesus Christ took our judgment. He took our death plea on Himself. He went under for three days. He died and was dead for three days and then rose out three days later 
providing us the gift of salvation, providing God's people a way of escape. And get this, if you look in your Bible, look at verses number 15 through 17. I love these deeper parts of the Scripture. Teenager, I hope that you learn to love the parts of Scripture, that when you learn more about it, it makes you just fall more and more in love with the Scripture. Look at verse number 15. And as they, were, and as they bear the ark, were come unto Jordan, and the feet of the priests that bear the ark were dipped in the brim of the water, for the Jordan overflowed its banks at each year at this time of harvest. And the waters which came down above stood and rose up upon an heap very far from the city. When he says very far from the city, it's actually, the translation there is a little bit confusing, but it means at. All right, the waters stopped at where? Someone read the next one. At, from the city... Adam. So wait a second. The Ark of the Covenant goes into the Jordan, which is a picture of death and judgment. The Ark is a picture of the Holy Spirit of Christ, of the presence of God. And then the waters of death and judgment flow and stop and are stopped at a heap at where? The city called what? Adam. You guys get this? You get what a symbolism this is of our salvation? Do you get what a symbolism this is of, of Christ when He died on the cross for us? The sins were forgiven all the way back to the person of Adam and Eve? Guys, what a wonderful truth we have here in Scripture that God is, and we need to prepare through acknowledged deliverance. And, and this is just more of a picture that Joshua is giving us. This is just more of a symbolism that Joshua is giving us that the Lord is in control, that Jesus Christ knows exactly what He's doing and that we can trust him. The people of God pass through because of the ark. We pass through this life and into eternity because of the death, and burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The miracle of miracles, by the way, was not the stopping of the rivers at Jordan. By the way, what a difference between the parting of the Red Sea and the stopping of the Jordan River. Right? You see Moses, he walks up, he puts a staff in the water. We've all seen Prince of Egypt, or at least you should. And then the waters split, and you see this amazing picture. I think maybe even a cooler picture is a river being completely cut off, and everything after it just keeps flowing down to the Dead Sea and dries up. And then this giant heap from way far off all the way to the city of Adam. Can you imagine how big that heap began to get as the people walk through by dry land? What an awesome thing. But the miracle of miracles is not... Jonah being swallowed by a whale. By the way, never try to explain away a miracle of God. I think somewhat, you know, and I went through this a little bit in Bible college, but after studying this, I think we try to explain miracles a little bit too much. Right? We think about, man, I wonder, uh, let's look into fish that could, and whales that could have swallowed Jonah because three days, he no doubt would, he would have been decomposed inside the stomach. It says God prepared a fish. By the way, you understand that, right? We need not explain away the miracles of God through evolutionary talk. By the way, God created the earth in six literal days. And there's people that try to explain it away and to say, oh, well, maybe, uh, maybe each day was 10 million years or each day was a billion years. Don't explain away the miracles of God. God could have created the, God could have and he did create the earth in six literal days. 
God did create a fish. By the way, God could create a fish with a refrigerator in it, with, with dining room furniture, and a couch for Jonah to sit on, right? God can do anything. And when we try to lock God into the laws of nature, we don't understand that God it does not abide by the laws of nature. God made the laws of nature, and the laws of nature aren't really the laws of nature. They're the laws of God in the first place because God made them. Right? Don't, go, don't put God in a box in your mind. Why is this important for you as a teenager sitting here on July 22nd or whatever date it is? Because you need to realize that the same God that you serve is the same God that stopped the River Jordan. It's the same God that brought His people over and showed His love to the people of Israel by sending down the Ark of the Covenant, a picture of God's presence, stopping the judgment and death so that His people could go through on the other side to victory. It's a great picture of your Christian victory. But you must walk through Jordan. You must prepare. You must sanctify yourself. Thirdly, prepare through sanctification. Verse number 5. What did they have to do before they passed through? And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. In order to see God's work, we must be right with God. good illustration of this is the person of Achan. Turn your Bibles to Joshua chapter number 7. Should be just a page over for most of you. Joshua chapter number 7. I encourage you to bring your Bibles. Joshua chapter number 7, read in verse number 1. But the children of Israel committed a trespass, the accursed thing, for Achan the son of Carmi, the son of uh, Nabdi, the son of Zerah, the tribe of Judah, took the accursed thing, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. So wait a second. This is after. We're skipping forward a little bit. By the way, the people of Israel win a lot of battles. Spoiler alert, right? This is one of the battles they win. And after they won the battle, uh, Joshua had commanded the people from the Lord that, hey, don't take any spoil for yourself from this battle, this particular battle. By the way, they did later take spoil from, from battle, and it was fine by the Lord. But in this particular battle, the Lord commanded, hey, don't take the gold. Hey, don't take the silver. Don't take these valuable possessions for yourself. Leave them there. Or give them to me, right? So he had given him a very specific command, and Achan had broken that command. By the way, let me remind you, teenager, look right up here. God is very serious about sin. God is serious about you as a Christian being sanctified. This was Achan. This was one of the children of Israel walking with the Lord, right? This was one of the guys who had been through. His dad was commanded by Moses. He was commanded by Joshua. He had walked through the Jordan River. He had seen the victories of the Lord, yet he decides to take something for himself. He decides to break God's law. Look in verses number 4 and 5 of chapter number 7. So there went up thither of the people about 3,000 men, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai smote of them, speaking of the children of Israel. By the way, this was not supposed to happen. Smote of them about 30 and 6 men, for they chased them before the gate, even to uh, Sherebrim, and smote them on the going down. Wherefore, the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Whoa, whoa, whoa. This is not what God wanted for His people. What's happening? No one knows about Achan's sin except Achan. Right? And Joshua's writing later here, and he's telling us exactly what happened. No one knows about the sin of Achan except Achan. And because of one man's sin in the camp, God's blessing has gone away from the people of Israel. And now they're running away. They're being killed by the men of Ai. 36 men die. Look in verses number 13. Look at verse number 13. Up. Sanctify the people and say, Sanctify yourselves against tomorrow, for thus saith the Lord God of Israel, 
There is an accursed thing in the midst of thee, O Israel, thou canst not stand before thine enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. God is serious about sin. You want to know how serious He is about sin? Look at verses number 25 and 26. 25 and 26. And Joshua said, speaking to Achan, they hunt him down and they find the man that has done the accursed thing. Joshua said, Why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all Israel, by the way, all Israel stoned him with stones. Better than that, burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. And they raised up over him a great heap of stones unto this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Wherefore the name of that place uh, was called the Valley of Achor unto this day. God is serious about sin. And when God commands us to sanctify ourselves, I think sometimes we, we sit around camp and we hear a message and, and Dr. Shetler encourages us, hey, teenager, that secret sin, that secret sin that you're holding in, just give it to the Lord. Right? Just give it to the Lord. You need to repent of your sin. But after that, everything's great. Right? And that's true. If we repent of our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and all our unrighteousnesses. Right? God is faithful. But I don't think sometimes we understand the watered-down language we use for our sin. But you look at the Old Testament, you realize what happened because of sin. You realize that Achan, because he stole a couple little things from a city that was damned in the first place, because he did that, he was stoned by the whole nation of Israel so that the Lord's fierceness would come away from the people of Israel. Your sin is serious to God. And sometimes we sit around and I'll ask you, hey man, hey Jace, what's your struggle? Hey, I'm just struggling with this area. And sometimes I'm tempted as a youth pastor to say, hey man, don't worry about that. The Lord forgives us. We'll work through that. Instead of saying, hey Jace, that's serious to God. And God wants you to get that taken care of. And until you get that taken care of, God can't use you. God can't use you while you're doing this sin because God hates sin and you weren't designed to live that way. Do you guys see the difference? But too many times, and by the way, too many churches. Why are we so hard on other churches? Because too many churches tickle the ears is what Revelation says about people and their sin. And they say these aren't really sins, these are just struggles when in fact no, they're sins. And the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament and God hates sins. Prepare through sanctification. God hates our sin. He won't let us take it with us to serve Him. Guys, get rid of it. Whatever it is in your life, sanctify yourselves this day so that God can do wonders in your life. Can I tell you this? When you're living a life that is clear from sin, when you're living a life the best that you can, that's away from sin and that's for the Lord, the Lord's going to use you and you're going to see miracles from God. Will I see the Jordan split? Probably not. Will I see the Red Sea parted? Is God going to let a whale swallow me? Probably not. I hope not. Right? No. But maybe the Lord will let you lead someone to Him. Maybe the Lord will let you go on a missions trip where you're able to serve. Maybe you'll get to see the wonders of God in this day through the youth group, through your life, through your parents' life, if you'll simply sanctify yourself. In high school, the coach of our baseball team, I, I really didn't like this because I loved Coke Zero when I was a teenager. I just loved Anybody have like a favorite soda? I'm sure you do, right? So I really liked Coke Zero. Our fridge was always packed with it. My mom would make sure I got it. When we got broke, I had like Diet Right or whatever it was. or Not Diet Right. It was some kind of weird Sam's brand. But anyways, uh, in high school, the coach of our baseball team says, all right, guys, you're too fat. He didn't say that. But he said, you guys are too out of shape. No more soda. We're like, hold on. Wait a second. 
You mean like when we go, you mean like not in practice, right? We can't be out in the outfield drinking Coke Zero, right? No, no. He's like, no, at home too. And some of us are like, hmm. Man, Coach, I don't, I don't know about that. I, I don't know about that. I, I mean, we're at home though. I mean, you're not really in charge of us at home. And he would say this. He'd always say this. Hey, you can drink soda. You just can't be on my team. Teenager, know this. You can have your sin and keep your little pet sin, but don't expect to be used of God. Right? Don't go to camp every year and kind of deal with it and kind of cut it off a little bit and then go right back to it and expect God to use you. God will not use an unclean vessel. And Joshua says, prepare yourself through sanctification. Oh, team, you have to deal with your sin. Don't expect to see God work and do His wonders without you dealing with it. Don't expect to see the God of wonders. Fourthly, prepare through steps of faith. This is the last point. Verses number 6 through 8 say this. And Joshua spake unto the priest, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass over before the people. And they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. The Lord said unto Joshua, This day will I begin to magnify thee in the sight of all Israel, they that, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. And thou shalt command the priest to bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you are come to the brink of the water of Jordan, you shall stand still in Jordan. There were a lot of small procedures leading up to the actual carrying of, of the Ark of the Covenant into the Jordan. There were a lot of small procedures that the priests had to follow, that the people had to follow. They had to get themselves right. But these were small steps of faith that were used to show the wonders of God. And couldn't you imagine being one of the people of Israel at this time? You're seeing all of these moving pieces, right? You're seeing all of these confusing, confusing moving pieces of the Ark of the Covenant. We don't even know what that is. Uh, we can't even go... 2,000 cubits, we have to stay away from it, or if we touch it, we'll die. What's going on? Uh, the River Jordan, okay, where is the actual ark, Lord, right? Where's the, where's the Noah's ark? That would be more helpful, Lord. Why don't you give us that, right? So it had to be a confusing time, and I just imagine it as like an extended out west trip or camp for Joshua. Like Joshua's the youth pastor, you guys are the children of Israel, right? Can you imagine all of the questions that Joshua would have fielded if his people didn't have faith Right? Can you imagine that? Do you know how many times I was asked on the Out West trip, hey, what are we doing today? Hey, what's for dinner tonight? Hey, what's next? Hey, what? Hey, what? Hey, what? Oh, man, I get so annoyed with that. Right? I get so annoyed. And eventually I'll just stop it. I'll just pretend I can't hear. Right? I just pretend like I've lost. But Joshua here is dealing with a very faithful people, unlike you guys. He's dealing with a very faithful... I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. He's dealing with a people that, couldn't you imagine being one of the people of Israel and your natural inclination to start to question Joshua, right? So, so the Lord says to Joshua, this day will I begin to magnify you. And I'm sure there were murmurings. I'm sure there were those small things. I wrote down some of them that, that maybe from my experience, Joshua would have heard. Uh, wrong kind of ark, Joshua. Dummy, right? So he probably would have heard that. You have, uh, hey, Joshua, hey, hey, do you have any extra Ziplocs for my manna? Like, whenever we're crossing over, I don't want my manna to get wet. Do you have extra Ziplocs? Hey, Joshua, do you have a phone charger? Because, like, my phone's low. Can you charge also my extended battery so it doesn't go to... Uh, should I wear my sandals or should I wear my boots across? Should I, I don't know what to wear. Is it going to be, like, real dry land or is it going to be kind of muddy? I don't know. Uh, where are the boats, Joshua? You said the ark was here. There's, like, the middle schooler running up. He said, I heard the ark was going to be here and there's animals. In the wrong ark, man, wrong ark. And he's saying, uh, Joshua, you, you, you saw God part the, the, the Red Sea, but a river is completely different. You know that, right, Joshua? 
like, I hope you brought the same rod, but this is a river like we're talking about. This isn't the sea, right? So these people, uh, they just followed. They just obeyed, right? And I use that as like a funny little thing. You, you guys asking questions, you just want to know what's going up next. But can you imagine Joshua leading these people that had all these questions, that had all these murmurings, that had all these disputings? These people just followed. These people just obeyed. And because of their obedient following, sanctifying themselves, preparing themselves fully, they, in the next few verses, get to see the wonders of God. We've looked at the symbolism of all of this, and, and next week we'll actually look at uh, the actual story. Right? We'll get to see what actually happened. I'll go into greater detail of exactly how these things took place. We'll go into greater detail with all that, but we've seen the symbolism of what these things mean to us. Guys, you've got to prepare. You've got to prepare in your life to see the wonders of God. Are you right now prepared for God to work in your life? Or would you say, Pastor Scotty, God's got to sanctify me first. Hey, Pastor Scotty, I need to work on this area of my life. Hey, Pastor Scotty, I need to prepare more in my life to see the wonders 